the breath of life that came into human beings, that we could uh, live and move and breathe in your world. And we give you praise for that breath of life that is in our lungs today, that you wake us up, that you give us strength uh, each new day, that, that we are alive in your kingdom and that we can live and serve and love you. And we praise you because you are at work uh, through, not just through creation, but in our, our very lives. You are working in our bodies, giving us uh, life, uh, another year of life, and we celebrate with those who, who have birthdays this week. We praise you because you are working good in our midst through organizations like uh, Moms and Tots and Ebenezer Christian School, uh, through our council and congregation as we seek to serve in this place. And you are working good in our midst, uh, in all of us, as we, uh, as we follow your will and do your word in the world. We praise you because you have uh, guided us this far and have protected us from illness, and we continue to pray for your guidance as we seek to be your church in, in these times and places. We trust, God, that you are leading us and guiding us, and we pray that you continue to do that by your spirit. We pray, too, for those in our midst who are, who are ill. We think especially of Jake and Joyce and Tom, of Louise and Joel and Grandma Ramos, of Terry and Joby and Thelma, and, and many others whose names are on our lips and our hearts. We know that your spirit is the breath of life and healing and comfort, that your spirit walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So we fear no evil. We fear not even death itself, for you are with us. You comfort us and protect us by your rod. And we trust that you have good things before us. And so we pray that you continue to bind us together by your spirit as a community. We think especially of those who can't worship with us regularly, uh, whether that's because of their health or age or for whatever reason. And we pray that they, you surround them by your spirit and give them a, an extra measure of your, your presence on this day, that they may know that we are one in the spirit and that your love is poured out among us by your spirit. God, we trust that you are, are guiding us to and calling us by your spirit, not just to worship, but to your word. So we pray that as we come to your word now, you open our ears to hear and our hearts to, to know and to love you in your word, the living word, Jesus Christ, that we may be found in him and him in us, and, and that by his word we may be transformed evermore into his likeness. This we pray by the Spirit and through the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and it's the story of that Pentecost Sunday, that first Pentecost Sunday where the church received the Holy Spirit. We'll be reading a part of the first half of the chapter and then a few verses towards the end of the chapter. The words will be on screen, or I invite you to open a Bible uh, if you have one handy. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under earth. And when they heard, under heaven, and when they heard this sound uh, of the wind, they, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking, aren't all these Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, 
and visitors from Rome, as well as uh, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and, and said, they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter continued, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all who call, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This this day, Pentecost Sunday, is a day of signs. It's a day filled with these signs and wonders. The the Spirit comes upon the believers uh, like tongues of fire and, and foreign languages. And these signs and wonders happen in this small group of believers gathered that day, 120 of them. And the sound of the Holy Spirit comes uh, like a rushing wind and, and the sound of their own languages. And it draws this big crowd to them. And God does these signs to point them to Jesus. Now, the festival of Pentecost comes about uh, 50 days, exactly 50 days after Passover, It's what's called in in Hebrew the Jewish festival of Shavuot, which they celebrate still today, a a spring harvest festival. And it's also the day that Jewish people celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It's a pretty important day for Jews. It's kind of like the birthday of the Jewish people because the law bound them together as a people. The law is what gave them identity and purpose. Uh, God freed them from slavery in Egypt, and then God gives them the law at Sinai. See, that makes the law a response to God's freeing grace. God saved them from slavery first so that they could keep the law. 
And that's why it's the perfect day to, for the Spirit to be poured out on the new believers. It's kind of like the birthday of the church. See, before they were followers of the way of Jesus, but after Pentecost, they become a movement called out into the world. They become the church, the called out ones. And that's exactly what Jesus told them would happen. They would receive the Holy Spirit, and then they would be witnesses in Jerusalem first, and then Judea and Samaria in this ever-expanding circle out to the ends of the earth. But Pentecost morning starts with them gathered all in one place. And there were about 120 believers at this time, uh, uh, Luke tells us in the chapter before. There were the 11 disciples plus a a new one they'd appointed and uh, Jesus' family and the closest followers of Jesus. And they were ready. See, maybe they'd been spending the whole previous night in worship and prayer, doing an all-night vigil. They were there together before 9 in the morning. Or maybe they had a a sunrise service as they prepared. Whatever the reason, they were together and they were waiting for Jesus' promise. See, just 10 days before, Jesus was taken up away from them into heaven. Uh, the risen Lord is no longer with them, and so they wait. And the Spirit comes like the Spirit often does in this wind and breath and roaring and fire. And, and the word in Hebrew for Spirit uh, sounds a lot like this breath of air coming out of your body. Now here, the sound is like this blowing, violent wind. The Spirit comes like wind. And the Spirit fills the place where they sit. The the Spirit comes like fullness. And they see something like these tongues of fire coming on each of their heads. Uh, The the Spirit comes like fire. And then each of them are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues or in languages of other places by, by the Spirit's power. And the room is filled with even more noise, this babble of foreign languages. And it's hard for them years later when they try to describe to Luke what it was like on that Pentecost Sunday. What what happened? They say the Spirit is like wind and like breath and fire and fullness and tongues, but it is none of those things. Those are all signs that point to the Spirit's presence. And there's a crowd that gathers there at the sound of this noise, uh, uh, the noise of the Spirit's signs. And there's something special about this festival crowd Because they're God-fearing Jews from all over the known world. It says that they're from every nation under heaven. They come from all over. And Luke makes a point of telling us where they come from, from east and west and north and south. If you can bring the map up, I'll show you a bit of where they came from. Maybe I'll try. There we go. He says they come from east of Jerusalem. Let's get a little drawing on here and see if we can do this. They come from Media and they come from Parthia. They come from uh, the Elamites. There's the Mesopotamians from Babylon area. And then north of Jerusalem, we've got the the Cappadocians and people from Pontus and Pimphili and Phrygia and Asia. Those are all parts of Turkey today. And then from the south, we have people coming from Egypt and Libya and Cyrene. And then from from the west, we have people coming from Rome all the way and Crete as well, this island. They're coming from the whole known world. Even Arabians from the Arabian Peninsula are coming to hear to celebrate this festival, and they see the Spirit come down on them. And not only do they come from the whole known world, they also hear their own languages. Have you ever been in a foreign country or a place where lots of people around you don't speak your language, and all you hear is the foreign language that you don't understand, and then suddenly, out of the crowd, you can pinpoint one person that's speaking the language of your heart. 
which I presume is English for most of you here. You can hear that person speaking in English and you make a beeline toward them because you're desperate to hear your language. You want to, to hear what they have to say to you. That's a bit of this Pentecost feeling, that feeling of understanding and, and uh, presence, of being part of the body. So they hear these believers who speak a different language declaring the wonders of God in their own heart languages. Now, some commentators think that this day, Pentecost Day, is a reversal of what happened at Babel. See, at Babel, the, the people of the world were trying to build a tower together to reach God by their own strength. And what God does is he scatters them by confusing their languages. Suddenly, they go from being able to understand each other perfectly to no one understanding anybody at all. At Pentecost, God does the opposite. God brings them together, people of different tongues, people who do not speak each other's language, and they are united in understanding the word by the Spirit. It's not that they all suddenly speak the same language. It's not that their languages and cultures no longer matter at Pentecost. No, instead, they understand, they hear the word in their own language, and the Spirit continues working in them too. The Spirit prompts them to ask this question, the, the first question of Pentecost, what does this mean? And it's a reasonable question to ask in this situation. I mean, that's what you'd wonder if something strange like this happened. Of course, there's some people who miss the point of the work of the Spirit here, and they, they accuse them of being drunk. But the work of the Spirit continues through Peter's preaching. The Spirit prompts him to get up and to loudly speak to the crowd to proclaim the good news. But first, Peter prompts them to ask their question. The Spirit prompts Peter to answer their question. What does this mean? Let me explain, he says. We're, we're not drunk. It's just nine in the morning. We may be celebrating later, but this festival hasn't even gotten going yet. No, he points them to Scripture. He points them to this Spirit-inspired prophecy in the book of Joel. See, Joel spoke about the day at the end of days, that day when the Spirit would be poured out on all people, all flesh, the, the sons and the daughters, the young men and the old men, the, even servants, both men and women. And there would be signs and wonders, not just among the people, but also in creation, in the skies, in the earth, in the seas. And Peter says that all of these signs and wonders are for one purpose, salvation. The Spirit is pouring out on the people to prompt them to call on God's name. And then Peter points to Jesus, the one who did these signs and wonders and miracles among the people. They know it. Some of the people there have even seen Jesus working when he was alive. And they, they, it, it's, it's all Jerusalem can talk about for the last few months. These signs of the Spirit point to Jesus. And on, in his first sermon here, Peter quotes a, a few of the Psalms and some of the stories of what David did. And then he gets to the main point in verse 36. He said, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. All of these spirit signs point to Jesus. Every miracle, every wonder, every word spoken in foreign languages, every tongue of fire and every decibel of the rushing wind, it all points to Jesus. He is the one all the signs point to. He is Lord and Messiah. And the people respond cut to the heart. They, they, they're cut to the bone, as we would say. Brothers, what shall we do? And that's the second question of Pentecost. What shall we do? The first one, what does this mean? And the second one, what should we do? And Peter doesn't hesitate there. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
See, the Holy Spirit prompts so many of them to, be, to repent and be baptized. Uh, 3,000 people became Christians that day. And the, this promise, this forgiveness in Christ and a spirit-filled living, is a promise that is for all of them, he says, for their children, for their families, for those who are near and those who are far away, for all whom God calls. Now, years later, Paul was writing a letter to some gatherings of Christians in, in Galatia, one of those parts of Turkey, And some of them may have heard this good news on that Pentecost day from Jews who were there in Jerusalem. And they followed Jesus and they received the Spirit. But they didn't always understand how it worked. They didn't always understand what it meant or how it meant that they should live. What does the Spirit do for them, they wondered. And in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, Paul tells them that they too were bound in slavery, just like the Jews before receiving the law. They were bound by these elemental spiritual forces of the world, he says. The way things are, the the dog-eat-dog world, the world of karma, you you get what you deserve, the world that says fight for yourself and love yourself and care only about yourself, this world that is bound in slavery to sin. And Paul says, no, no, the, the Son sets you free from all that. God makes us his children, his heirs, Uh, We receive this inheritance, this covenant promise that God made all the way back to Abraham. And that happens by the Spirit. He says, because you are God's children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that enables us to call God, Father. The Spirit is the way we are made children of God. The Spirit is the one who points us to the Son, Jesus. And the Spirit appoints us to God, our Father, And you might say, that that all sounds good and true, but what does it mean, Paul? Make it plain. What should we do? Which is that second Pentecost question. What should we do now that we've received the Spirit? And Paul answers that question in Galatians chapter 5 with this explanation of what Spirit-filled living looks like. He says it starts with freedom. So you are free now from that slavery to sin. So live like it. And then he goes on to say in in chapter 5, verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, or uh, that means the, the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, and you, uh, you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let me read the the next few verses in the message paraphrase because it really brings it to life. Paul goes on to say, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. This repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, uh, an accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, this all-consuming but never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded or lopsided pursuits, this vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on, he says. This isn't the first time I warned you, you know. If you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Now back to the the more familiar NIV version. Paul continues 
but the fruit of the Spirit. The way you live in the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. See, here in Galatians 5, Paul breaks it down. We've received the Spirit, so what does it mean for our lives? Well, here is what Spirit-filled living looks like. The Spirit pours out at Pentecost as a sign that points to Jesus. But the consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that it, it crowds out all those other ways of living, those ways of the flesh, of sin and slavery. You heard the list. Not one of us here can hear that list and say, nope, none of those apply to me. I'm sure if we, we had to raise our hands, that we'd, we'd raise at least one of them, if not two or three or all of our fingers for things that we've done against the Spirit. The Spirit works in that way too, pointing out to us the ways that we stray back into slavery and sin. But above all, the Spirit works good fruit in our lives. These ways of living that point to Jesus, what Paul calls love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we'll come back to Galatians again next week and in the, the weeks to come, starting at the beginning of the book and working our way through a Sunday by Sunday to see what it means to live in the Spirit. But for Paul, it's simple. He says, you've received the Spirit, so live like it. Now, for us Pentecost people filled with the Spirit, it's that simple too. You have received the Spirit, so live like it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go uh, speaking in foreign languages or angelic languages. Uh, being filled in the Spirit doesn't mean that when you come to church, you have to raise your hands or, or do something crazy, be loud. No, being filled with the Spirit means that your life points to Jesus. That's, that, that's, that's it, folks. That's simple. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, Live like it. Live in the fullness of the Spirit. Live like it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, come among us, we pray, that we, uh, your children, might be like Jesus, that we may point to him in, in your signs working in our midst, in your, the ways that you shape our lives to be like Christ. Point us away from the ways of sin and slavery and death and point us toward the way of Jesus, toward the fruit that you work in our hearts. So we pray that you may continue to, to prompt us to greater faithfulness, that you may call us to account when we stray and that, that you continue to support us and sustain us as we seek to, to do uh, your will in the world. We trust, God, that, that you are doing that even in our midst now, in our hearts as we pray. And we ask that as you send us out from this place, you will sustain us in that spirit, breath, power to do the ways of Jesus Christ, to be the living word in the world. This we pray in his name and by the power of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As a response to the word, we'll sing a song uh, that speaks of the work of the spirit in our midst.